you know, the, the, one of the ways you can measure the health of a community is not so much by how many people attend your meetings, but it's by who you're sending. Does that make sense? Like, it's more, the church is more like an airport, you know, than, I don't know, like a collect, collector's, you know, closet. An airport where people come and the, the plane never leaves, that's not so good, is it? But, but Jesus sends us people and, the, and, and then that we get to intersect together and then some of them we get to send out. So these three young families who are, as we're speaking, multiplying in front of us, um, <laughs> uh, have been part of Believers. So Brandon, you've been here for seven, seven years. Jason, uh, Lena, you guys, four four or five, and, and uh, the Lord has called all of them out about at the same time to, you're going to be Colorado Springs, back where your folks are, Florida, somewhere in Florida, okay, Orlando, Florida, and Oklahoma City, yes, and so what we wanted to do today is, is first of all, Acts 13, talks about this time where the leaders in the church were praying, and it says, the Holy Spirit said, we're just talking about the Holy Spirit messing up our lives. So the Holy Spirit set apart, said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work I've called for them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Those are two most important leaders at the church at Antioch they sent off. Why? Because the Holy Spirit said to. And the cool thing is, the next sentence is, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Then El had all this strategy now, they didn't have it till they got there. So that, that's just to comfort you guys. Because I've talked with all of you in that level of joy and panic that's happening at the same time is wonderful. But we wanted to just recognize these guys who they've served with fusion. They served in uh, discernment ministries. They've done probably a lot more things that I know about. Um, and we get to send them out. Sound good? So we're just going to, let's just pray over them and bless them right now. I'll pray over them. But Anna and John, if you come and put hands on them. Uh, I know that their small group did that last night as well. And we're just going to say, first of all, thank you for being faithful to Jesus during your time with us. Thank you for letting him shape you. Thank you for not running from the discomfort and the pain and the ambiguity and obscurity. And thank you for trusting him to let you into the wild unknown. And so, Lord, we, we agree with what you're doing, Holy Spirit. We agree with what you're doing. We don't always say we understand it. But we trust you. We trust you. And we know that you've got better ideas than we do. You said that you would do things beyond our imagination and bring glory to yourself through the power that's working in us. So may your power work in these guys to do beyond what they could imagine in the mundane and, Lord, in the surprising. We commission them and agree with you. In Jesus' name, we send them. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. We love you guys.
got a few announcements for us this morning. Uh, if you're new to Believer's Church, our website is more than I can ever remember it being up to date and really live and in action. So bctulsa.com is a place to go. If you want to um, give, you can give through our website. You can also download our Church Center app. That's a really helpful way to give. Um, also, if you go to the Community Life tab, it used to be called something different, but we've renamed it Community Life tab. That's where you can figure out all the things that are happening at BC. It's where you can get connected to some of our ministries. It's where you can get connected to a small group if you're interested in doing that. It's a Community Life tab under bctulsa.com. Next, we have Vacation Bible School that is coming up um, June 6th through 10th, and the deadline is this Tuesday, and uh, there's something for the whole family at Vacation Bible School. Um, the, the ministry time um, is specifically for four-year-olds through those going into sixth grade, but um, if you're 12 or older, you can volunteer, and also um, children a volunteer zero to three, um, we're going to have a space for, for them. So really encourage you guys to get your kids signed up. If you've got um, friends in your neighborhood that have kids, um, get them signed up. And also we encourage you to volunteer. It's like a local mission trip here. And um, finally, this is an announcement about a small group, Al and Jeannie Wilgus. They meet first and third Sundays, um, and they are a beautiful uh, community of people that are, are kind of 50 plus, and they are eager to invite the next generation to come and engage. They want to be a, a healthy intergenerational small group. So uh, I imagine they'd still take you if you're 50 and older, but they are also looking to um, put their arms around and be friends and spiritual family with, with some younger couples. Um, so if you're looking for a group, that's one that's available. We just um, I think relaunched our mom's group, and there are all sorts of different groups that meet all throughout the city at different times in the week. So again, you can go to bcchills.com, Community Life, click on the Groups tab, and you can request more information for groups, or you can even scroll through many of the groups that we have. So bless you guys. Um, let's invite Guile to come and share with us this morning. Thank you, John. So hopefully this will be nice and simple today and helpful. Wasn't that a nice just sitting in the presence of the Holy Spirit here today? Yeah, I just need it. Thank you, Joe and Chris, for facilitating that with us. Um, a little while ago, if you're new to BC, you probably, if you're not new to BC, you definitely remember this. We've gone, had this series asking the question, how do I know what's true? And we talked about it, you know, we said, first of all, that Jesus is the truth. That's why we gathered here today, is that we believe that truth is a person who embodies everything we need to know about God, ourselves, and the world. And so the question we were asking is, how do I know this person, Jesus? And somebody who's from Believer's Church prior to this Sunday, tell me what the answer was. Thank you, yes. That was so encouraging. How do I know Jesus? Rest. And, and what that stands for is reason, experience, scripture, and tradition. And this is kind of the, the, the basically the priority scale. We're saying that we said that scripture is the most important, which God's words, Jesus' words to us, tradition, the witness of the church, other people. 
for the last 2,000 years experience our connection with his presence and doing the practices of Jesus and reason, being able to think about who is this Jesus. So what we're going to do over the next few weeks is talk about Scripture. We're talk about how, how do we engage with this, this top way of knowing Jesus and why is it that way. And so what we're going to look at is what is Scripture, how do we interpret it, why should we read it, and then how are some, what are some practices and how we can engage it, okay? All right. So we're going to start with what is the Bible. Notice I already said, I've already made a little definition. You can, Scripture and Bible can be used interchangeably, okay? So we, we'll be using both of those terms. But I specifically want to talk about what is the Bible. And actually what I'm going to do, uh, Stephen Dennis was teasing me. He said, he said, hey man, you showing this video is kind of like doing uh, Sunday school and just showing Veggie Tales. But, but Bible Project guys are so good at what they do. I thought I could, I could wander around for 20 minutes and explain this, or I could just show you this for five. How's, which would you prefer? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so this is just a qu- quick little video from the Bible Project guys about what is the Bible. So here we go. The Bible. It's one of the most influential books in human history. It explores the big questions of why we exist. It's inspired many people to do amazing things. And confused many others. And you've probably got one sitting around somewhere. So, what is the Bible actually? Well, the Bible is a small library of books that all emerged out of the history of the people of ancient Israel. And in one sense, they were just like any other ancient civilization. But among them were a long line of individuals called prophets. And they viewed Israel's story as anything but ordinary. They saw it as a central part of what God was doing for all humanity. And these prophets were literary geniuses. Really? Yeah, they expertly crafted the Hebrew language to write epic narratives, very sophisticated poetry. They were masters of metaphor and storytelling. And they leveraged all of this to explore life's most complicated questions about death and life and the human struggle. So, there's a lot of different authors writing this book. Yeah, and these texts were produced over a thousand-year period, starting with Israel's origins in Egypt, then leading up to their kingdom with their first temple. But eventually, they were conquered by the Babylonians, who took them away into exile. Then, at a crucial moment in their history, many Israelites returned to their land. They built a second temple, they reformed their identity, and this is when the Jewish scriptures began to be formed into the shape that we have them today. Okay, the Jewish Bible. What's in it? Well, in Hebrew, it's called by an acronym, Tanakh. The T stands for Torah, sometimes called the Law. That's Israel's five-book foundation story. The N stands for Nevi'im, the Hebrew word for prophets. And this section consists of the historical books that tell Israel's story from the prophet's point of view. Then you get the poetic books of the prophets themselves. The K stands for Ketavim, the Hebrew word for writings. This is a diverse collection of poetic books, wisdom books, and more narrative. And the Jewish people believe that through all of these literary works, God speaks to his people. Now, there were other Jewish writings being produced during this Second Temple period as well. Yeah, a really diverse group of texts. And these two were highly valued in Jewish communities. And there was debate from ancient times about whether or not some of these should be considered part of their scriptures. So, this is a lot of different writings over a long period of time. Why did they put them all together like this? Well, altogether, these texts tell an epic story about how God is working through these people to bring order and beauty out of the chaos of our world. 
And it all builds up to a hope for a new leader who would come and renew all creation. And then the Tanakh concludes, and this leader never comes. So it's an expertly crafted work, but it's missing an ending? That's exactly right. Now, a few centuries later, a Jewish prophet comes onto the scene named Jesus of Nazareth. He claimed he was carrying the Tanakh story forward. Yeah, so Jesus did a bunch of cool stuff, was killed, but his followers claimed he was alive from the dead. Yeah, they said that Jesus was that long-awaited leader who would restore the world. And so his earliest followers, called apostles, they composed new literary works about the story of Jesus. They called these good news or the gospel. They formed an account called Acts about the spread of the Jesus movement outside of Israel. And then they circulated letters to different Jesus communities all around the ancient world. And they saw these writings as part of the scripture. Yeah, the apostles wrote all of this as the fulfillment of that epic story found in the Tanakh. And they were continuing the literary genius of the Jewish tradition. They also believed that God was speaking to his people through these texts alongside the scriptures of Israel. So that's the Old and New Testament. But what did the early Christians think of the other Second Temple literature? Well, different groups had different views about some of these books, but we know they read them and valued these texts because they passed them along with the Jewish scriptures. Okay, so we've got the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures. We've got these other Second Temple period works. Then the writing of the apostles about Jesus. And that's a lot of literature, so what's in my Bible? So the Christian movement has taken different forms over 2,000 years, and from the beginning, all Christians recognized the Tanakh and the New Testament as scripture. And for centuries, much of the Second Temple literature was read as part of the biblical tradition. The Catholic Church eventually made it official and called some of the books from this collection the Deuterocanonical books. Some Orthodox churches used even more books from this Second Temple literature. And then in the 1500s, during the Reformation, Protestant Christians wanted to go back to the oldest writings of the prophets and apostles, so they accepted only the Old and New Testaments. Okay, I think I got it. But how does a collection of books produced over a thousand years by all these different authors tell one unified story? Yeah, that's the question we'll address in our next video. That's pretty helpful, isn't it? So let me commend those, these guys to you, Bible Project guys, really, really do excellent work. So quick summary on what we just saw. The Bible is a library. The, actually, the word Bible means library. That's where we got that, okay? Biblos. And so it's a collection of books. We're Protestant-ish here, so we'll say 66. That's the Old Testament, New Testament. Many authors took over 1,600 years to try at the Old, Old Testament, about 1,000. Then we had uh, leading up to Jesus' day and then how long it took, took to write what we have. It tells a story about God, us, and the world, and it culminates in Jesus. That's what we're saying, what the Bible is. And I'm saying that's a decent start. Let me tell you a story. So this is a picture of something that a woman named Laura Young picked up at Goodwill in 2018 in Austin, Texas. She just kind of like she's kind of one of those people that likes to find interesting things, and she was at Goodwill, saw this, and for thirty five dollars, she picked this up. Actually, to be precise, thirty four ninety nine. You can see the. And so she took this home. This is it sit, sitting in her car on the way home. She strapped him in, and brought him home. But she, as she was, as she had this at her house, she started thinking. This doesn't seem like it's just, just a trinket. I wonder what this is. 
Long story short, after a little research, it turns out that this is a bust from over 2,000 years ago that literally has incalculable value. So much, so much, it was worth so much that they finally had said the only thing you can do is it's, it's now in a museum. This is like a world treasure. It's, it's truly something from Rome that is as old as, at least as old as Christianity. Somehow it made it to Goodwill in Austin. <laughs> Nobody really knows. But the point of the story is this, is she didn't know what she had. <laughs> She had this treasure that was over 2,000 years old that she picked up for 35 bucks and thought, you know, I should probably, probably the responsible thing to do is find out what this actually is. So I want to talk a little bit more about what is the Bible. We just talked about kind of the bones of it is in that video, and it's really helpful to understand that so you know what you're working with. But I'm going to use just a one sentence, break down that sentence that hopefully will stick in our minds so we know what we're talking about with the Bible. We're saying, I'm going to say the Bible is unique written words inspired by God to lead us to Jesus. Unique written words inspired by God to lead us to Jesus. And so really all I'm going to do is from here on out just, just explain each piece of this sentence and hopefully it'll help. Sound good? I'm doing that because Anna says it. Is that all right? We all kind of like go... Yeah, I think it is. I'm not exactly sure what to do with it, but I like it. Jesus, help us. Unique. Did you know that? Does anybody know what the word unique act really means, literally? Yes. Unique means one of a kind. So if you're saying something's unique, there's only one of them. So when we say these are unique written words, there's only one kind of these Bible words. Why, why do I know that? It's because they're firsthand authors who wrote about things that happened right in front of their faces. There actually was someone who saw and heard the lightning and the thunder and the voice of God at Mount Sinai and wrote about it. A firsthand account where it was... Not more like, this would this be cool to talk about. I heard about it. It's like they were shaking in their boots and wrote about it. They're people who actually smelled Jesus' breath as he was talking. They're, they're people that saw Jesus transfigured on a mountain and glowing, and Moses and Elijah were there and said, We should, do, we should tell people about this eventually. And so what's unique about the Bible is those are unrepeatable moments that have been written down. Does that make sense? They're unique. There's only one person who can say those, and it's the, it's, or people, and it's those people. Okay? And then they are written words. One of the things we talked about is why are words so important for knowing any person, including Jesus? And it's because words are the best way we have of knowing people. Right? That, that, that we, we can know some things about people by their nonverbals, by things we see from a distance. But, but you can only know so much. My friend Mike Edens and I were out uh, at a lake house this weekend and we're watching a guy mow his lawn. And we just started to kind of have our own little narrative of what was going on because he didn't look too happy. And also his younger employee had been there before him. 
And I thought, oh, he's redoing this guy's job. Well, that guy ain't getting a bonus. You know, we're, we're, we're creating this whole story. Now, it may have nothing to do with reality, right? We could have just said, hey, man, why are you doing that? He might say, oh, I don't know what he was going to say. I think our story was right. I mean, it just, the other guy didn't look like he did a very good job. But writ, words are the best way to know a person. It's what we mean is it's personal. If there's someone you've never actually talked with, you probably don't know them that well. Okay. Written, though. This is powerful that they're written down. The reason is because it means that they're fixed. They're not changing. We have evidence that's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, dating back to the second century, of copies of these manuscripts that are the same words that you read in your Bible. They're fixed. What's so great about fixed words is it doesn't matter about my mood. It doesn't matter what I think about this or that. Those words are still there. Does that make sense? If anybody's word, you know, you've ever heard, well, uh, how do you know that these didn't get changed over the years? Uh, you can look at a book by a guy named F.F. F. Bruce. It's called The New Testament, or The Documents Reliable. He demonstrates how the, the New Testament is so much better attested than all of the ancient works we can think of, like, uh, you know, Homer's Odyssey and all these things that all scholars... It, what's funny is secular scholars are more likely to say the Bible's reliable than most theologians. I don't know why that works that way, but it's just a bizarre thing. It is so well attested and reliable that we've got these words. Dallas Willard says probably the reason we don't the reason we don't have the originals is Rome was trying to get rid of the text early on. But Dallas Willard wisely said he pro- God probably let the originals go away because we'd probably worship them, <laughs> wouldn't we? Or have wars or burn people to death. We burn people to death for things less than the originals of the scriptures. So, you know, um, so the personal fit and they're objective. There's something that you didn't invent, I didn't invent, we can both look at together that's outside of us. It's so important if we're going to, you know, seek out truth, it has to be something just outside of my own head. Because I got a pretty limited head. Because imagine you do too. Okay, inspired by God. What does that mean? It, what it doesn't mean is like, oh, that's so inspiring. This is very specific language. And it's actually, we have it in the scripture, is all scripture is God-breathed. That, that is the word that is inspired. What it means is the reason that the NIV does it this way is, is the word inspired can kind of just mean I'm moderately interested, you know, by something. This is literally God breathed these words so that they're useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's another great text that says, above, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts, we see uh, the disciples praying at the time, and they were saying, Lord, you made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And he goes in to talk about the psalm that he wrote. So there's this idea that what do we mean by inspired by God? It means that God worked through the authors 
writings so that they accurately communicated what he wanted us to know. They accurately communicate what God wants us to know. So, you know, in a little sense, you know, have you ever had a sense where God is saying something to you? Yeah, okay, yeah. Imagine that, but you're a first-hand author that the Lord's entrusting with this unique moment that he, is, he was able to get across to us everything we need to know about him through what they wrote. God's he's not confused and he's able to do that. That's what we mean by inspired. Okay, all right. Purpose, to lead us to Jesus. Scriptures talk about this very thing. Jesus, when he's talking about the scriptures, now if you look in the New Testament, the, the, the Tanakh, the Old Testament, is referred to as a lot of different, sometimes they're called scriptures, sometimes it's called the law and the prophets, sometimes they're called the law. Uh, but what it means is the Old Testament. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus says, this is a powerful one. He's talking to the, some of the expert Bible teachers of his day. He says, you guys study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And Jesus, after he'd uh, risen from the dead, was talking to his disciples and he says to He's talking to them. He said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And Paul just makes it really simple, just with this little phrase. Christ is the total culmination of the law, the scriptures. All this stuff is pointing to Jesus himself. Okay. Oh, this, this is good too. Writer of Hebrews says it this way. I forgot about this. In the past, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors, and He's obviously speaking to a Jewish audience that knows the Tanakh through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, and through whom also He made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. And John says it this way, in the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning, he's referring to Jesus, was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. You, John intentionally is mirroring the in the beginning of Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. But how did God make everything? Yeah, he spoke it into existence. Here's the way I think it. Now, this is my own speculation. I don't know how the Trinity works. And if someone's going to explain it later, I don't believe you either. Okay, so. But imagine this. You see, at the beginning, here's the Father. The Holy Spirit's hovering over the chaos. And the Father takes his breath of the Spirit and speaks a word. That's Jesus. To make everything. He says, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus is that, that Word of God that made everything. And that when Jesus came to earth in verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. 
We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the ultimate articulation, um, clarifying statement of who God is, who we are and what the world's all about. It's in Jesus himself. 3D. Touchable. Okay. So what is the Bible's unique written words inspired by God? God getting across what he wants to say to lead us to Jesus. Now, here's, here's a couple of ditches I've noticed when thinking about the scriptures. And this is kind of the main payoff. If, if you've been raised in church, I'm hoping you haven't heard anything you haven't heard before. But if you have, this is really, really important, really, really good to know. Um, but there's two different ditches on how we can understand what the Bible is. One is, is you could call it, a bibli- oh man, that didn't come out. Uh, bibliolatry. That's a really cool picture of a guy bowing down to the Bible. Um, bibliolatry, what, what does that mean? And I've been really wrestling with this, how to articulate it. But bibliolatry is this idea that, you know, some have joked that some, some people believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. You know what I'm saying? In that Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that rather that the Bible attests to God, but is not God. Does that make sense? We only worship God. And so, but I, I think most of us aren't bowing down to a book. You know what I mean? It's, but here, the ways I've noticed it is, is if, if, if there's an impersonal use of Scripture. And in other words, I'm not, use, I'm not engaging with these words to meet the person of Jesus. It, I'm actually engaging with, with these words for something else. For some of it, it's just a checklist. You know what I mean? I got my Bible reading out of the way. And so in our heads, it's sort of like climbing a ladder to God or something like that. You know, or, or some of us can at times weaponize it, right? And it really becomes something that's more about making sure I know I'm right about things, you know. Now, I'm a one on the Enneagram, if you're into that stuff, it, it, t- that personality thing. I like to be right a lot of things, and the Bible can be one of those things for me that's less about relationship and more about information. And at that point, it starts to take a place that it's not meant to sit in. Does that make sense? It's a really big deal. Okay. And I'm hoping there's going to be some both inspiration and discomfort in this area because it's, it, we're dealing with stuff that's so utterly important. It's hard to overemphasize it. So we don't worship the Bible. We worship Jesus to, to whom the Bible points. However, there's another ditch that I would... Oh, oh, and, oh, this is a great quote by this theologian named Edith Humphrey. She says, Jesus and the Scriptures are both authoritative, yet the latter, Scriptures... Is an authority because of on be, and on behalf of the former Jesus, in the Scriptures, letters, words, sentence, precepts, propositions, and stories are dignified and pressed into service by that one who is God's first perfect and ultimate word. Isn't that a beautiful statement? That's what kind of what we mean by inspiration. The, 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 this, these words are pressed into service through an author's writing. Uh, and again, it says Jesus. Jesus confronted the religious teachers of his day of, of what would what I'm calling bibliolatry. 
It's that you're searching these scriptures because you think you're going to find eternal life in them. But these very scriptures, they testify about me. I'm right in front of you and you won't come to me. Missing the point. So that's one ditch. But the other ditch I'm going to call the Roman bus syndrome. <laughs> Made that up all myself. And it's this idea, and even in the uh, Bible Project video, it said, uh, yeah, you probably all have a Bible somewhere. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's decorative, you know. <laughs> the crazy thing is, you can have a Bible in any translation you want. Any English translation, I don't know, German. Today, maybe you want to read in French today. We, 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 with the digital world we live in, it's insane what access we have to a two thousand year old treasure. You know, one of the things I think is so important to recognize is how critical the scriptures are. Is to see how Jesus Himself handled the Bible. And that there's a whole long thing, but I'm just giving a really fast overview of this. Jesus clearly upheld the authority of the scriptures. He said, I'm not going to abolish these things. I'm here to fulfill them. Mark, uh, John 10, 35, he says, the scripture cannot be set aside. He obeyed them. When the devil was tempting him in the wilderness, the way he dealt with the temptation wasn't to say, I say. He was saying, he quoted from Deuteronomy multiple times, saying, well, the scriptures say, and that's what I'm submitting to. The Word submitted to the Word. He taught and interpreted them. These are just a few of the instances, if you want to look them up, where Jesus, Jesus would constantly be... He, he wasn't just saying, I have new teachings. He's saying, no, here's the teachings we already have. Let me explain to you what they actually mean. Like one of my favorites is in Matthew 12, where His disciples are out and they're in the, in the grain fields and they're... They're, they're rubbing grain in their hands and the, the Pharisees come and say, man, your guys are doing work on the Sabbath because it was a Sabbath day. And Jesus said, oh man, if you actually knew what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You wouldn't be condemning the innocent right now. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, he's quoting from Hosea 6.6, 6, saying, you guys have missed the point of Hosea. Hosea, and if you read Hosea chapter 6, he's saying, I'm sick of your practices that you have no heart in relationship with me. What Jesus was saying is like, you guys are caring about these little things and you have no relationship with the God to whom they're directed. These guys love Him and this is a goofy little thing we're doing here. I wish you guys understood. I want, it's, the word mercy is hesed in Hebrew. It's, I want your heart. I want your devotion and your love, not just your sacrifice. So Jesus ticked a lot of guys off because he's like, well, you interpret it that way, but sorry, you're wrong. He says over and over again in Matthew 5, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And every time he's never changing the law, he's actually ratcheting it up. He says, I say to you that, yeah, you're not supposed to commit adultery. I say to you, if you look with lust, you've already done it. Ah! Jesus is going to the heart, the relational, personal thing. Jesus called people back to the scriptures. He says he, he was so hard on the Pharisees. He says 
you guys get around the scriptures so well with your traditions. The scriptures say to take care of your mom and dad, but you say, I've dedicated this stuff to the temple, so I can't give it to mom and dad. You missed the entire point. And Jesus then was pretty, pretty radical. He equated his words with the scriptures. It says in John 7, yeah, I'm speaking my father's words. And he said, you guys watch and just test and see. See if they are. Go ahead and watch. Then later, at one point in Matthew 5, Jesus said, there's not one, one thing in the law that, and the prophets that's going to pass away. And then later he says, oh, and by the way, my words will never pass away. Whoa. That's pretty unique. So Jesus, Jesus, love the scriptures. Here's a little test to know whether you have Roman bus syndrome. Bible or if Jesus were standing in front of you talking and there's a Bible, whose words have more authority? If Jesus were standing in front of you talking, in the words of the Bible, whose words have more authority? Here's the answer. Equal. They're equal. Can you feel that? I can feel the fear of the Lord. I'm serious. I, every time I, I felt like the Lord dropped this in my head, He wanted the fear of the Lord. Do we know what we have in our hands? See, because Jesus' word is Jesus' word. If it's coming out of his mouth, you hear it, you're still going to have to listen to it, interpret it, and obey it. Same exact thing. He has given us words written that are reliable, that are equal in authority. If he were standing, talking to us, why Jesus is never confused. He's not going to say something that's going to contradict stuff he's already said. Do we know what we have in our hands? See, in one of the symptoms of this that really is disconcerting, and I have talked with people firsthand on this, telling me, well, I just want to do what Jesus did, and it's not in agreement with what Jesus said. That is impossible. And by that, I mean the entirety of the scriptural witness. Jesus affirmed it himself. Jesus submitted it to, to himself. Jesus said, my words are equal to the Lord's words. You can't know Jesus apart from the scriptures. Or I should say it this way, apart from the words he's given to us. If Jesus were here walking around, that'd be a little different, I guess. Maybe we wouldn't need the book to follow around to ask him to say it again. But for some reason, he decided this was the best way to go. Right? It's like Joe said, Jesus said it would be better that he leaves. You sure that was a good strategy, Jesus? He's really smart. And so, 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 so if you find yourself in a position where you say, I, I know this Jesus, but you don't actually know what he says, I, I have questions. It's like me saying, I know exactly what that guy mowing his lawn was thinking. I don't know what he was thinking. I never heard a word out of his mouth. Okay, so what is the Bible? Unique, unique, one-of-a-kind written words inspired by God to lead us to Jesus.
And so here's a response. It's going to address those two different ditches. One is, do I read the scriptures to be in relationship with Jesus? The Bible itself describes it as the culmination of these words is to lead us into relationship to the word himself, Jesus himself. But I'll be the first to say, I've not always read the scriptures to be in relationship with Jesus. I've, I've read the scriptures to be right. Has anyone done that? <laughs> I read, I've read the scriptures because I was afraid God didn't like me. And if I did my scripture reading, he'd like me more. And that's what I'd call bibliolatry. Because the scriptures themselves tell me, you cannot earn God's love. I'm not even paying attention to what they say. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Thank you, Craig. Craig just said he wanted to confess that I've read the scriptures to exalt myself in front of other people. Ooh, man. There's such a fear of the Lord on this thing. I just feel it. God is so humble, so utterly, incomprehensibly powerful. We just, we just recently discovered a picture of the black hole at the, that the center of our galaxy that we're shocked that we found it and we're terrified because anything near it, we're fortunately far enough where we're like 21,600 light years from it. So it's not like an impending threat. But it's so large that it's taken us all of human history to even know it was there. And that's one galaxy out of thousands, millions, billions. He's larger than all that, yet wants to know us and wants us to know him so he'll humble himself to words on a page to tell us who it is like into human flesh because he's so committed to giving us a chance to know him. So I, I've come to love the Scriptures because I want to know Jesus. Because you know what happens to me sometimes? My emotions say something very different than what the Scriptures say. They, say. they say different about my imaginations about where my life is going, where the world's going, what meaning is, whether my life is meaningful or not. I'm so grateful that God gave me these words that I could go in and say, you're my hiding place. Oh, there were friends of mine two, 3,000 years ago that they were scared too. And they ran to you and said, Lord, keep me in the hiding place away from accusing tongues until the destruction passes. Oh, thank you. The, the words that we sang that, that Jesus said that the father's like to a failed son is that if he comes back, he's going to clothe him, put a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. I was just, I was, I was in that when Sam was singing that today. Just, oh, thank you. That's, that's what you're like. I don't feel like that's what you're like sometimes. But if we find that we're reading the scriptures for some other reason, Sometimes we kind of miss the point. We don't do very well. We, we become like the religious leaders who Jesus said, oh my gosh, you guys study this all the time and yet you don't even know me when you're sta I'm standing in front of you. 
We'll be talking more about this relational component as we go. But here's another one. Do I have the Roman bus syndrome? One is, do I read the scriptures at all? You say, no, I don't think that. Well, do you read them? <laughs> I know I'm getting in your face. But I'm just, I was just a question. If you have something of incalculable value, value, calculable value, so valuable they couldn't even put a price on it that they have to put it in a museum and not really know what to do with it, let's just preserve it. Do we know what we have in our hands? And then here's another question. Do they have authority over me? If it's true that the, the most powerful way we have to know Jesus is words and it's the words he's given us, do they have authority over me? Here's how I know if something has authority over me. It has the ability to get me to do things I don't want to do. A leader doesn't have leadership authority till people do things they don't want to do. That's when you actually have stepped into leadership authority. Otherwise, you don't need leaders. You just go do whatever you feel like doing. It just works out, right? The only way I know if the Bible has authority in my life is if I will obey it at times when I want to do something different with myself. It's the only test. You can even think that it's like this, but you're not steering your body in that way. It may not have the authority that you think. Now, the glorious thing is they're inspired by the Holy Spirit or empowered by the Holy Spirit to live it out. We're going to talk more about that. But these are just supposed to be provocative questions at this point to help us get centered into where Jesus wants to be. This, this is like at the center of that. How do I know what's true? Guys, we are through some, going through right now, not just in the U.S., but globally, some of the most profound changes that have happened in hundreds of years. Historians are talking about it. It is a... The world is very, very confusing right now. But the joy is for God in His kingdom. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be worried that things are changing. We literally don't have to be. Jesus said, don't be anxious. You're going to have trouble in this world, but guess what? I overcame it. So let's stand together. Might I invite you just into these questions with Jesus. With Jesus. Knowing that we don't read the Scriptures to climb a laborious ladder up to making sure He likes us. We don't do it just to justify our position because we're nervous about our lives. We do it to meet this person named Jesus who Himself is God's Word. But do we know what we have in our hands, in our phones? Priceless treasure that is equal to Jesus standing in front of you, talking. Those are His words. So, Father, will You help us? I'll just pray that, Jesus, would You in us get what You paid for? That Jesus, you, you extended yourself. Like, <laughs> you, you just can't, you couldn't get the hint from humanity. We, we, turned, we turned you down and you just keep on coming. To the degree you gave your life away before we even responded. You love us so dearly. And you're trying to talk to us. 
Lord, would you capture our hearts now? Chris had that beautiful world. There is no veil. That's from 2 Corinthians 3. In 2 Corinthians 3, Paul said this, that any time that Moses, meaning the Scriptures are read, a veil lies over our hearts. But in Christ, that veil is removed. And then we get to stare at Jesus. And as He stares back at us, He transforms us into His image. God, would You help us to do that through these very words You've given us? To be able to stare into the face of Jesus. Amen. We're done. All right. Have a good day. Love you.